Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Learning to Be Human podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Linkenbach. And on today's podcast, we have a very interesting individual. He's actually my therapist, Dr. Bob Baer. And just a couple of things about uh, Dr. Baer is that he is the founder of the Deep Waters Retreats, which I have been on and participated in staffed and have found absolutely transformational. For those of you looking for deep healing, you can reach out to myself or him and we can dive into that together. And then he is also the author and writer of The Creative Fire and Stop Doing Shit That You Don't Want To Do. And with that, Bob, I'm going to read us off a quick quotation here, actually by um, Pia Medley, who is somebody that you have actually turned me on to. Um, And so the quotation is as follows. The best thing we can do for our adult children is to get into recovery for ourselves and set them free to find their own way to recovery. That is from her book, Facing Codependence. And so with that, Bob, I will hand it over to you, let you introduce yourself and kind of just give the listeners a little bit, you know, about who you are and what's going on. All right. Uh, Thanks, Christopher. Uh, Honored to be here. We got a lot of wise ass comments in in uh, in response to the intro <laughs> that you did <laughs> that, that are maybe they might even be relevant. I don't know. Every once in a while, I say something that's relevant, <clears throat> so you gotta like really pay attention and try to pick them out of the big basket of uh, wise ass uh, fooling around. I've learned how to fool around in my in in my recovery over these years uh and to you know kind of play with life a little bit most of the time unless i'm railing against something or resentful or pounding my fist on something in between those times i think i've learned how to have a good time with this life Mm -hmm. more and more so that's something i think i do have to share with folks if anybody's interested but uh i will say the first thing you said is that i'm your therapist and i'd like to be really clear that I'm against therapy. <clears throat> then I like to leave a little pause there for uh, like <laughs> dramatic, dramatic effect. Pause. What, <laughs> what does he mean? What does he mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm against therapy in, in the way that uh, it's been done mostly, and by the way that it's uh, perceived that somehow we're going to give a bunch of advice to somebody, or that we're going to say the right thing, or we're going to get them to change their mind about something, or we're going to get them to change their behavior and they're, and then everything's going to be fine. And we're going to tie it up in a bow and they're cured. Right. This is, I know nobody would say it that way, but I think a lot of people think about it that way. And for me, I, as a, as a healer, I, I, that's even a misnomer because Mm -hmm. you know, who's going to, you know, who, you know, who I'm going to hire to heal me, me. And, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, although I have to have other people around, it's a paradox. I have to be around other people on the path in order to heal. So I don't see myself so much as a clinical therapist. I think the clinical industrial complex is a problem, and I do not want to be associated with it. There's a there's a great benefit in keeping folks sick. And I don't say that my colleagues mm. are doing that consciously, but it's like, it's under the surface. It's like, I'm the one that's going to heal you and you can't be healed without me. And it's a, it's a, a lot of us are crazy. Uh, uh, us therapists, you know, it's a little bit like uh, criminals and police. They both have the same personality profile. You can look at therapists and met people with mental illness, 
And you no pretty much got the same personality <laughs> profile. So we're, we're a bunch of sick people trying to heal ourselves. And mm. most of my colleagues are not doing their own work. Mm. They're off. It's another addiction. Let me get on the topic of you and off the topic of me. All our entire culture is doing our, our damnedest to get off the topic of ourselves and what's cooking uh, inside of us. There's a few, there's a few uh, exceptions to this. Uh, most of yours and my colleagues, Christopher, are, uh, uh, you know, good intentioned, but have not had the training to do actual healing work, right? There's a couple of uh, exceptions, and that's you and the crowd that you're hanging out with right now uh, mm -hmm. uh, at Pacifica and uh, 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 hanging out with uh, the Jungian, Jungian crowd. Now, there's the, the the Jungian analysts and people who have done a lot of depth work, depth psychology work, are the shamans of our uh, current culture. It's the best we've got, right? We don't have mm -hmm. kunanderos and kunanderas and people who are grew up out of us, out of the earth, and have are from a family of healers that know exactly what rhythm to get you in when you're out of rhythm. We don't have that anymore. We have Tony Robbins, who's good, but it's rah rah. Uh, it's rah-rah stuff. Let's get happy, baby. And uh, positive psychology. We have positive psychology. Yes, let's get positive, baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. Our our buddy uh, uh, Carl Jung said, we do not become enlightened by imagining figures of light. We become enlightened by calling the darkness into consciousness, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to look at their dark side. So you're fucked, Christopher. You're paying a lot of money to finish <laughs> to finish uh, your program at Pacifica, and then you're going to be in a business inviting people to look at their darkness. And there'll be a point in time when you said, geez, I wish I listened to Bob. He said, nobody's going to buy that. Nobody wants to look at their darkness. They want to buy new Nike shoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why didn't I go into the shoe business? Well, the same reason I'm here. Uh, with you today is because I am passionate about deep healing because I know that mm. that's uh, the free the the that's where I uh, develop some freedom for myself, freedom uh, in my relationship with my daughter and all of my relationships. I'm not cured. I'm not saying that, but I've gotten a lot of freedom uh, from it, and I and I want to share it. And it's I, I don't know what else to do at this point in my life but to try to share it. So I'm grateful mm. to be here. Um, and that was a pretty long response to, I don't even, so long that I don't even remember what the question was. Well, something, so something that I hear all the time in the therapeutic circles that I'm in, and even just listening to people self-diagnosing themselves, and as I've done in our sessions together, by using the words depression and anxiety, what would you say to somebody who's, you know, considering themselves depressed or an anxious individual. Well, Don't get me started. That? Don't get me started. <laughs> okay. So uh, that the word depression, the word anxiety, they're both, uh, uh, they're both offspring of the clinical industrial complex and the pharmaceutical industrial complex. Uh, these are diagnoses that were developed so that you can make a pill to address it. All right. And there's big money in it. 80% of the psychiatrists uh, that 
uh, developed the diagnostic statistics manual that you and I are being uh, you're, you're being trained and using to <laughs> be able to diagnose. Eighty percent of those folks have direct ties to the pharmaceutical industry. Um, those la that language is of increasing uh, boredom to me, and and to me the for, the longer I'm doing this work, it's almost irrelevant. Somebody says they're depressed. Okay, thank you. Uh, somebody says I'm anxiety. I have anxiety. Okay, thank you. I have found that my depression, my anxiety, all the things that I've called mood fluctuations, all all this these things are called are are actually unresolved trauma manifesting themselves. Now, if you give me a pill to mask it. So I feel a little bit better and can mm -hmm. function just a little bit. Then I can't get to that trauma, that pain, mm -hmm. that the pain that's underneath the surface. We Americans especially are just hell bent on avoiding pain, uh, seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, seeking pleasure. You know, the pain <laughs> is, is where the uh, solution is. You know, uh, you and I have worked with enough folks, and you know, in my in my case, I am one of those folks who slammed into the wall uh, behind addiction, right? I have uh, tried to kill that pain with every, almost every addiction known to man. I'm an absolute expert on uh, process addictions, especially, uh, but it's not necessarily good news. <laughs> no. But I've also found a solution over the years, and it has to do with, it's a spiritual solution. I hate to use the S word, uh, but... Um, when I say spiritual, what this is what I mean by it. I mean that I have be, uh, that I have become just a little bit more aware of the actual nature of the universe, a little bit, like one point oh oh one percent, and I've also become point oh oh one percent more aware of myself in relation to the universe, to the to this life stuff, right? Mm. Just a little bit more aware. To me, that's the best way to describe uh, my healing from what we call a sp the spiritual malady in 12-step recovery anyway. Uh, so uh, to me, it's a, spiritual it's a spiritual problem. It's not a clinical problem. It's not something to be medicated. It's something to be felt and therefore transform. Our bodies have impacted trauma. There's, they're all everything that happened in my life that I didn't get to discharge the emotion from is packed in here, locked in here. And the pharmaceutical industrial complex loves it. Let's, let's make a pill for that one. Right. Uh, so the work is to get down into the body. It's body work. Nobody wants to do it. I don't want to do it. Don't make me do it, Christopher. And it's, uh, you know, for a lot of us, we had to hit a pretty hard wall loss of relationships for some people it's jail you know whatever it is it's like i am just so miserable waking up every morning wanting to kill myself or whatever it is for most of us it takes something like that to say all right i need help mm. <laughs> these are words i didn't say until i was 35 years old that mm -hmm. was the the weakest thing you could ever say mm -hmm. so i would say uh so Another long answer to a pretty simple question that I sort of ignore diagnoses, which is another reason I said, eh, I don't know about this therapy stuff, because people have have their uh, sense of what that is. And I don't in, in a lot of cases, I don't want to be associated with it. 
I, I mm. think you and I are both up to something very different. Mm -hmm. And so some individuals out there who hear the word trauma and they think, well, I, I grew up in a pretty good family. I don't really have a lot of trauma. What is kind of the, you know, what do you say to that? Boy, that's just like a, you just hand me, <laughs> what is that, like golden handcuff uh, question? Um because, you know, for the listeners, uh, Christopher is also, he's a humble guy. He, uh, believe me, there is so much to this dude uh, that uh, I'm going to have him on my podcast. So I make him uh, uh, announce all that. So he doesn't have this humble thing that he's doing. But uh, he's one of uh, my senior staff on the Deep Waters Experience weekends. And uh, uh, really understands the answer to that question. Um and I'm not going to do the whole whole routine. There is a uh, video at, uh, uh, coming soon on the uh, creative on uh, at bobbear.com that outlines what we call the trauma tree, right? The trauma tree mm -hmm. is the very best tool that I've found for uh, addressing this uh, widespread misunderstanding of what trauma is. And the very short version is, uh, yeah, a lot of people come to these weekends. Uh, we start talking about trauma, and the first thing they say is, <laughs> I'm from a good family, right? And I say inside myself, because I'm really a nice person, not really, but inside myself, I say, what the fuck does that have to do with trauma? <laughs> but instead, I say something more like, hmm, that's interesting. Well, let me kind of outline what trauma, how trauma shows up. And actually, the people that have had most people, and I'll ask your listeners right now to just answer this question, uh, what is trauma? And, you know, this isn't a live show, so we can't get, but I'll guarantee you, if we were a live show, there would be, well, it's, you know, you get hurt and it's, uh, and it's like violent, uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, uh, abuse and that the word abuse is what most people think, uh, trauma is some kind of major, uh, catastrophic, intense, uh, uh, happening like car accidents or divorce or suicide or those, those kind of things, or some kind of, uh, beating or sexual trauma or that kind of thing that happens in childhood. Yes, of course, that's trauma. The folks that have that kind of trauma have one advantage, and that is that they know where their work is. <laughs> the rest of us, uh, think we don't have it. And therefore, we're running on our own self-will, slamming into walls, wondering why we're doing it. Well, there's abandonment, there is uh, neglect. In a lot of those cases, we're our good families that didn't weren't trying to be neglectful or abandoning. But you know, a lot of fathers are working hard, moms are working hard, and they're not there. It's not on purpose abandonment, but it's it needs to be looked at uh, when little kids are not getting what they need. They make up things about themselves. Uh, the biggest one is enmeshment, which has to do with playing different roles in the family to try to compensate for dysfunction. And I'm not going to launch into the big lecture in this forum, Christopher, but I know that's where, what you're poking at. And uh, there's, there's uh, you know, I wrote a book called uh, uh, Stop Doing Shit You Don't Want to Do, How Unresolved Trauma is Running the Show that outlines all of this. Uh, and it's also, uh, I have a genius person working on the videos uh, for that process. Uh, and I think uh, it's, I think that's you, Christopher. 
know that it's an online program, but right now it's in book form and um, that's on the website also. Um, so uh, I think just to directly uh, answer the question is it, it takes some study to understand what trauma is. I mean, we're mm -hmm. not going to get it here in this podcast. There is mm -hmm. so much that influences our trajectory of life. And here somebody is coming into yours or my office. They're 40 years old. <laughs> They're in the job they don't like. They're in a marriage they don't like. They're treating their kids bad. They're using something and they don't have any idea how they got there. And I know exactly how they got there. They Something happened in their childhood or a lot of things that took them off of their, their authentic path, even an eighth of an inch. <laughs> and then by the time you get to 50, you have no, you're no longer in touch with what, you know, Pia Melody referred to as the inner child, that, which is a really good metaphor uh, for healing, what the inner child or our golden child or that original authentic part of us knew was right for us. We're so mm -hmm. far off of that. And the work is to go back there, do the grief work and the, and the offload the, the uh, mountains of, uh, of uh, pain and, uh, mm -hmm. that, that, that's in the way of living our life. Mm. It takes a lot of support too. Mm. We can't just do it up in our heads, mm -hmm. right? Even though, even a smart guy like you, I think probably when you and I first met, I said, wow, you're brilliant. And I don't mean that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that, and just for anybody who's out there listening, I did an episode on the trauma tree right before this as well. So check it out. Wow. I believe it's episode 23. If you want a little more in-depth explanation, and then also check out Bob's explanation as well, which would be probably way more in-depth and way better explained. But if you want a brief, you know, put together explanation of that, you can check that out. It's really helpful in understanding trauma. Bob, earlier you mentioned that you found freedom in your life. And I'm I'm curious what that is an outcome of previously, what that what the actions are to have found that freedom. Yeah. Well, I took a pill. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a surgery. Uh, I'm kidding, but uh that's kind of the western way right i just mm -hmm. i just went to or i got a shot i just did get some, uh i don't even know if i should have done it i probably should have looked i probably should have consulted with you christopher the thinker but i got a i got a um my knees are bothering me and i got a a and he says it's it's bone to bone <laughs> so Ooh. all right get to the gym and uh but I got two shots, steroid shots. That's the word I was mm -hmm. looking for, cortisone or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, West, the Western world wants to inject, ingest, surgically intervene. And uh, it's possible to, to take the worst of the, whatever it is when it gets really bad, to take the top of it off with, with clinical interventions, right? EMDR, Uh those of you that have uh, that in the last, I would say, 10 years, but last five years, it's become the go-to intervention for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which means something bad happened to me. My body, which is a brilliant mechanism, uh, is terrified that it's going to happen again. 
and I am not able to function. <clears throat> this is PTSD. And uh, EMDR is the best intervention for taking that off the top so that we can at least function. And uh, because what happens is our brilliant system brings that memory up to the top of our uh, memory banks, right? So that it's like we're looking out for it all the time for that bomb to drop or the car. To, I mean, when I, I've had, I had a car accident a year ago for the first six months, I was like at every, every stop sign that came back up, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to get hit again. Um, and I've done EMDR and a couple of other incidents that have happened in the past. And it takes the edge off of the reactivity. It's a, it's a really good band-aid. I don't know. It's even beyond Band-Aid, whatever the next metaphor might be. Uh, pills and injections and all that shit are Band-Aids. This is EMDR, MDR actually goes back to the memory and let and, 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 and in a, uh, uh, a very uh, specific way, a very uh, um, uh, researched and quality way where you research, you re uh, release the uh, release the uh, panic is what I, mm -hmm. is the way that I'll say it because the memory stays up in our very short term memory and uh, EMDR helps us to release that uh, at least let it settle back into uh, longer term memory very very uh, powerful process uh, it doesn't necessarily and this is uh, where I would diverge from it uh, and and send people to our work that you know about which is to actually go back and and uh and transform the 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 incident transform it and maybe even allow it to be part of my life it happened it mm -hmm. is me it's part of me and to uh integrate it into who i am without mm -hmm. having it be this horrific you know we try to avoid grief like i mean like it's a horrible thing it's like mm -hmm. it's even become a word in our culture that's like a bad word right grief oh it's it's grievous <laughs> you know I don't know, man. When I touch my grief, uh, I don't want to, right? Because I'm who I am. I'm a human. We we don't really want to grieve. And we live in a culture that doesn't do much of it. So I'm not used to it. It's coming through a pipe in me that's kind of blocked. Uh, but uh, here's the bad news about that. I'm also blocking my joy when I block my grief. Those We all know that tear that comes when we see a little kid that we love. Oh, I love you so much. Yes, it's so beautiful. And, uh, and and I'm grieving my loss of my childhood possibly, or, you know, for me, I lost a child back in 87. And uh, right now I can feel that grief right there, just the memory of mm. her. And, uh, and now I can kind of let it come up, but not have to like think it's this horrific memory. It's a flow of who mm -hmm. it's the river of me right and on that river is true deep beautiful joy that i block when i block the grief mm -hmm. um so we have to get down in there <laughs> and it takes support and community and some people that know how to do this stuff uh so i'm so grateful that you are training yeah you know you're young and uh very young unbelievable this who are you how did you get i didn't even i didn't even care about anything within me until i was like 35 or so so you're like amazing man uh very very uh i love you and grateful mm -hmm. that you're 
that you're uh, bringing, uh, bringing us because, you know, right now there's probably people listening to this old guy saying, eh, I don't know about that shit, but they're, they'll be able to hear it from you. <laughs> mm. Thank you, Bob. You know, I received that love and, you know, I just want to let you know, I love you as well, man. And the, something that's coming in right now, and I think this fits in with the grief is that when somebody comes to you and they say, I'm suicidal, what is your thought process with that? Where do you go in your work? Uh, first thing that happened, first thing that came to me was, um, there's, uh, well, I don't even know how to put it in, into words. Uh, it's not really good. The first thing that came to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm going to say it out loud. There's some kind of humor in it for me. Mm. first mm-hmm. i don't i wouldn't never necessarily make a joke to somebody who's telling me that uh mm-hmm. but oftentimes you know it's being shared in a way that the uh it's like the worst possible thing that could ever be said right and i'm just kind of a counter dude <laughs> it's a little yes. bit like somebody saying you know is i really hate this using alcohol uh, that I'm doing and I can't stop. You know, my response to that is my brother, go get some more uh, as opposed to <laughs> yeah. stop, right? Because I want you to get in enough pain where you're ready. It's sort of the opposite. It's uh, mm-hmm. like tension of the opposite. Uh, somebody comes to me and they're suicidal. Uh, it really depends on what's happening here. Is this somebody that's calling me that is in so much pain? They're telling me, you know, I'm going to kill myself right now. And I promised that I'd call you. I'm calling you. And now I'm going to go kill myself. Now I'll take it fucking serious. If that's mm-hmm. what we've got. The other 99.2%, it's like, all right, what an opportunity. Mm. For what? <laughs> it's not. Yeah. What an opportunity for growth, man. It's like the pain is finally sufficient that maybe you're willing to listen and take some suggestions. Because that's what it was for me. That's how I got here 31 years ago. I was ready. I was waking up every morning fucking miserable. And I actually, you know, suicide, it ain't great, but I understand it. (laughs) It's like you're waking up every day uh, wildly miserable and don't have any solutions. I didn't have any solutions. And then I I just, you know, uttered the words, I need help. And, you know, when you're hurting that much, you know, somebody going to drag you into a 12 step room, into a therapist room or somewhere where somebody's going to say, all right, come on, let's get you a treatment plan. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it doesn't get better, but at least I'm not doing it all by myself. And then it gets a little worse before it gets better. And by mm-hmm. then I've got a bunch of people in my life uh, that I can lean on that have been there, by the way, which is the found that Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, there was several thousand years of people not having any clue what to do with alcoholism until 1935. And those guys figured it out. It's very complex. The answer to alcoholism is another alcoholic. Mm very complicated oh dear no the uh when if i'm suicidal i got to be with somebody that understands deep pain and that's the beginning of the doorway out Mm. i don't want to i don't want to act like i'm being cavalier about suicidal ideation 
In fact, that's the only time that I start thinking, eh, maybe we'll get him some meds just to get him so he doesn't kill himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and actually, I don't really work. When I hear suicide, I think it's serious. I'm going to refer. You know, yes, I don't have I don't have the, yeah. the resources or the energy anymore to deal with it. Let's get him. Let's get him in the hospital. Let's get him somewhere where uh, they're set up for it. And then maybe we can start doing some healing. Although most psych hospitals aren't going to refer somewhere to actually do healing. They're, they're actually the point of the problem. Uh, but it's very good for uh, locking people up when needed. And there was times when I probably should have locked me up. <laughs> you know, I've been there. So uh, I don't know if I answered, did I answer the question in any way? Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is very in line to just sort of the union thought process and not to take you know the idea of suicide which you're not in a light context but to come with it from the perspective of recognizing that it is something deeper asking for help and when our psyche which doesn't really understand how to deal with this process you know part of that trauma could be just immediately thinking of just going into suicide but what i'm hearing from you and once again in line with the union beliefs is that when somebody comes to you and says you know quote unquote i'm depressed or i'm suicidal there is an element inside of the therapist the healer who has wisdom in knowing that there is an opportunity here and something that i'm learning in graduate school right now about depression and i know how we feel about that word but about sadness and about you know, these deeper feelings is that it could actually be God pulling us down into the earth. If you think about depression, it it is a depressing energy. It's pulling us down. And I think it's really easy for us in our sort of westernized way of thinking through our ancient, not through our ancient, but through our understanding of Christianity, that God lives up in the clouds somewhere. But in reality, God lives in the dirt. And so depression pulls us into God and it is a calling from God. And so I think it's really easy for us to, you know, get in that sadness or that depression and think, oh, I, you know, I don't like this. Where is that band-aid? How can I fix this depression? And something that we learn in depth psychology, is it's not about fixing the depression. It's making the depression not have to be a symptom in the first place because the depression is a calling of something. Is that correct in what I'm saying? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that is very Jungian. And I I hope all of your folks that are listening know what we're saying when we say union, union, union. What the hell is he talking about? Some union? Are they in a union? (laughs) I didn't think unions were happening anymore. I thought the I think I thought the right wing politics swept that away, except in the Northeast. Um, But anyway, uh, you, uh, Carl Jung, we're talking about the philosophies of Carl Jung, which uh, here's a radical statement too. You can uh, take this up to um, the Bay Area with you next time, like a football and say, hey, my therapist said this, and then just see if it <laughs> falls on the floor like a big wet towel. But uh, I think 12-step recovery is the popular manifestation of Dr. Carl Jung's work. Mm. And uh, and I don't, and because we needed a dumbed, down version of it. Uh, very few people are going to go read his collected works. You're going to, 
Uh, a few other people are, uh, but it's very dense. And it's, he was a genius, man. He was like, and he changed his mind 95 times along the way, uh, which is the, another sign of a genius. Uh, but uh, the, the looking at ourselves and finding a spiritual solution that's unique to ourselves, all of the uh, uh, unloading it uh, with someone is sort of confession, but not really in 12-step recovery, nor is it in uh, analytic psychology. It's not the same thing as the religious confession thing. It's about getting real and learning how to accept ourselves and the universe the way it is. Uh, yeah, and making connections with, with with human, making a deeper connection. Depth psychology is about experiencing ourselves in a more full range kind of way. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, so we are uh, we are trying to uh, get more in touch with ourselves. That's mm. I mean, there's so many cliches that we could use to talk about all this, and it really mm. doesn't. Uh, really doesn't uh, ring the bell uh, until we're in the room with each other. In my experience, you know, Jungians, you could take this football up there with you too. Uh, Cause I've, I've taught at the Jung center in Houston, the, the, the first uh, uh, center that started in the fifties. So that was the first uh, Jung center in the world, I think other than Zurich at the time. And uh, so I taught there, I taught creativity stuff and men's stuff, and we were drumming in the back. And I'd always get somebody knocking on the door, asking if we could be a little quieter. The Jungians like to do things a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they like to think about it and bring meaning. They don't really want to beat a bunch of drums and get too wild, in my experience. So you can... Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think there is a wildness in us also that has to be accessed and we got to be mm. able to uh, find that. And uh, 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 I kind of forgot where I was headed, headed with that, but there's a, there's a, there's a full range expression that now, now Jung later in his work uh, uh, added uh, the, I think you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the active imagination part of the work sort of came on board later in his career, uh, active imag imagination, meaning all of the expressive arts as a doorway to our deeper selves. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a theater guy and a musician, <laughs> you know, these actually, those are the two things that aren't really on the list of uh, uh, active imagination uh, things in Jungian, in the Jungian world. They are, but they're sort of mm -hmm. like a, side uh side dish that um you know because Jungians like sand tray and slow like F Feldenkrais movement <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know I, I uh I really always made too big of a mess for the uh Jungians but uh I I think I am one I don't know I think they'll let me in the club won't they Christopher I would I would think so okay Here's a kind of a curveball, and I'm gonna ask you this because I know you've been on a 10-day Vipassana retreat, and that's really kind of the depth of my own philosophy about understanding this universe. It's the closest I think I've come to understanding anything, which is just focusing on my breath for 10 days. And I'm curious then, using the vocabulary of our well-known teacher, S.N. Goinka, that any 
sort of symptom, depression, anxiety, is a result of not seeing reality as it really is. What do you think about that statement? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same topic as the spiritual malady in 12-step recovery. I don't see myself accurately. I don't see the universe accurately. And every little drop of increased accuracy I get around that is increased spiritual maintenance. I'm not even going to be ridiculously bold enough to say, oh, I agree with Goink. You know, <laughs> this guy, I'm telling you, if we could just uh, package up all of his brilliance and Carl Jung's brilliance and just force it into the psyches of the planet, I think the war in Ukraine would end immediately. Uh, uh, divorces, 60% of marriages ending in divorce wouldn't stop. Actually, they probably wouldn't get married in the first place because they'd see the train wreck coming. Uh, but don't get me started on that one. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, there's and there's lots of ways toward that. Uh, again, these are the things that uh, the doorways to these solutions are uh, not Nike shoes. They are not shiny objects. They are things like, okay, come and sit for 10 days and let us teach you how to be absolutely still without your phone, without any, uh, uh, and eating lightly. <laughs> and then we're going to focus on one little part of your body uh, for a day, maybe, maybe two. And then maybe we're going to have you breathe and pay attention to that breath and the way that it's working. And then maybe, and then maybe we'll let you look at a part of your scalp, just one little part. We'll give you a day on that. Then we'll give you a couple of days to start moving and having access to absolute, actually observing your own body and the sensations in your own body. You know, we're people that think we have, we, we're so smart, we know everything, right? We don't know shit. We don't even know anything about our, our physical being. You know, the 10 days that I spent, <laughs> first three days, but day three is pretty miserable. Then I had a big breakthrough and I, I got the rhythm of this paying attention to my body and the breath. And then the light, it was a high of sorts that was dangerous mm -hmm. for a guy mm -hmm. like me that's in a lot of 12-step programs. In fact, I, I talked about it like I, I was doing, I got so high, I uh, uh, like uh, blew a, blew a uh, gasket or something. It was like, oh, I got nauseous. And or what do they call it in, in an engine when you blow the engine? I blew my engine. Mm -hmm. then for a day i had to just sit still and not even try to do the that mechanism because uh you know i don't know if you know it or not but we uh people with addictions uh secretly live from if a little is good a lot is better more mm -hmm. more more and i even did it with <laughs> with this uh with this um wonderful uh process yes so the answer that is the doorway to uh it's also another way to talk about healing trauma right these little sensations in my body are trauma this is hard to talk about right now i'm not and mm -hmm. somebody's listening saying what a bunch of shit that is probably but i know uh 
that these little sensations that I have in my body are the surface of the unresolved trauma in my body. I know it. And when I can stay mm. with it and feel the discomfort uh, and let it release, uh, stay with it long enough mm. to release. I know mm. you know more about it than I do, but I think that's how it correlates to the work that we do on the carpet with, mm -hmm. with psychodrama and bioenergetics and, uh, accessing deep emotions in the body through psychodramatic work uh, and then releasing it and having that feeling of being high a natural high which i think is how we're supposed to feel all the time <laughs> but we've got so so much trauma and unresolved stuff we're we're blocked from it um, i think those are both uh techniques to get down to the get down to the uh, deeper parts of us <clears throat> so mm -hmm. yeah and i like saying the word goinka Goinka. Goinka. I love how you say that. How does, um, you know, you mentioned you did work in creative space at the Jung Institute. How does creativity, how can that creative expression be a medicine? Right. Uh, okay. So Carl Jung, and all of his followers since then have analyzed a billion dreams, I'll bet. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. But part of the analytic, analytic uh, process, uh, uh, the training process, and is to analyze your own dreams and analyze all of your analysis of dreams. So uh, what it became a science of what what is going on in the dream time. So, uh, you know, most of my clients, when they first come into my into the work we talk oh i had some dreams and is it what what do you and i think you and i've already had this conversation so you know what is that thing that people always say about their dreams there's one word that is universally used they're weird it's weird right so i had a had a group a dream group and they kept saying it and i said well, let's try something different when you hear yourself about to say weird how about we say meaningful <laughs> how about we replace it with the word a meaningful dream, even though it doesn't feel authentic at first, then it becomes authentic. Because we think that it's just this random set of uh, images during the dream time. No, the dream time is the truth. Mm. The dream time is coming to us, telling us what's actually going on with us. And not only us, <laughs> it's connected to the, the term that uh, Jung coined, the collective unconscious. It's not only these images that are coming that I've never seen in my life, a minotaur or an odd character out of mythology that I've never even known it comes up from the depth and shows up in my dream. <laughs> that What is that? What is going on? Where is that coming from? Is it just weird shit? No, it's deeply meaningful. It is the truth, and it is the uh, it is whatever that other side is that we're all, you know, so mysterious, and we really would like to get in touch with. It is our most direct source for it. The dreams are telling us the truth. We just don't know the language. It's a completely foreign language, and it has to be learned. And that's what Jungian analysts do: is uh, train people how to understand that other language, right? And we have our own. A uh, way of, you know, if you're not going to study uh, the symbology of dreams, which is a vast study, I haven't studied it that much. For the most part, with my clients, I just say, what do you associate to that image? <laughs> at, at, at the very least, we can start to say, well, wait a minute, that image 
resonates with this in my waking life. And then we begin to tie them together. And the dream time will start sending us more dreams if we start treating them as meaningful versus mm. weird. Right? Mm. So that's my sort of intro uh, uh, lecture on why the expressive arts is important, because the expressive arts take us to the same place. Uh, if when, when we are sitting with a hunk of clay, uh, it's a mindfulness practice that gets us out of our head and into a sort of uh, trans, tr transcendent state, <laughs> right, where we are open to images emerging. You know, there's images that come out of clay that, wow, how did that happen? Where did that come from? If that happens to be your medium, uh, you maybe your medium is writing. Uh, maybe you can, uh, That maybe that's why poets tend to uh, go crazy because <laughs> they are mining the depths of the mm. psyche that we are ignoring. Mm. I also think that about people with schizophrenia, they're accessing images that uh, uh, are locked in the collective trauma and it's mm. come and their ego is a little bit more porous <laughs> and the images yeah. are coming flooding forth. And we say, wow, that person's crazy. When actually <laughs> that person... <laughs> That person is accessing your own unconscious shit. Um, mm. It's under pressure. It's going to come up somewhere. So one of the ways to let the pressure off yourself and, and the collective is through the expressive arts. Uh, that's The Creative Fire is a book that points directly at that and gives some good uh, practical ways to do it without having to you know, we all think we have to do masterpiece museum quality painting or something like that. No, in fact, that's problematic. <laughs> you know, we just need to be doing something creative to keep that flow from the unconscious open. Do you want to speak a little bit more about what the creative fire is? Uh, the book, you mean? Yeah. Or, or just as a concept? <laughs> both. Well, I think it's self-explanatory as a concept where there's a there's a there's a cauldron underneath us waiting to be expressed right and we do our very best to keep it down so that we can stay in the cool uh stay above in the cool intellectual above ground world because we want to keep it very ordered we want to keep it all on the shelf very ordered and if we get down into that messy paint and dance and movement and uh in the uh and and theater and arts and uh and uh, uh any kind of writing with 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 depth uh will disturb all this stuff up on the surface and it'll get it'll all melt and be messy so we don't ever go there right but there is a fire underneath us that will get our attention eventually um so it's therapeutic uh, you know, if everybody did their art, whatever that is, their creative expression, absolutely put you and me out of business. Absolutely. Immediately. Uh, because it, it's in traditional cultures, you have a shaman, of course, who does a lot more work to try to uh, be able to do healing work uh, energetically. But the whole tribe is dancing and doing whatever their art is. It's a natural thing that we have sort of lost in this culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Creative Fire is, uh, the title is The Creative Fire, 10 Weeks to Emotional and Creative Fitness. <clears throat> I think I was uh, reading a fitness book at the time when I titled it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's about creative fitness or what it is, but it's a it's a, uh, it's a 10-week program and you access each of the, uh, do something. There's two pieces to it. One is actually 
there's some suggestions you don't have to follow them but uh suggestions to actually do a little bit of the art form writing uh photography little piece of where you can just do something to get that going to see if possibly that's a doorway for you of healing uh, uh or or at the very least fun right the other side of it is each of the expressive arts form have a message that is useful in our lives right photographers i'm telling you i've been with a few of these guys they see details in life that you don't even know are there it's like whoa look at that look at that leaf the way that's hanging there it's like in other words, paying attention to the details of life. Thomas More said that that is the definition of care of the soul, being able to pay attention to the details of our life. We're usually so busy, the photographer in us doesn't even notice what the fuck's going on, that we don't mm. see anything. We're rushing through this thing. So that's just one example. A little exercise is to access the wisdom of the, 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 the painter sees colors in a certain way that I just don't take the time to do unless I, uh, you know, the actor uh, is, uh, is has a spontaneity. That, uh, so each of the art forms take us to a, a healing place if we allow it. Mm. Well, that's beautiful. And I feel the energy of this podcast is sort of winding down and i'm curious with that if you have any final bits of wisdom to anyone out there well all i have is my experience christopher and you know hanging out with uh you know the new wisdom for me is stop doing shit you don't want to do <laughs> it's catchy you know i think it's gonna uh I, i'm noticing it jumps people notice notice it and then they wonder what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is how we're being run by unresolved uh trauma underneath the surface of us mm -hmm. and if we want freedom uh we're gonna find it by going to that deep place with other people you know we cannot do this work on our own i lose mm -hmm. i probably lose people immediately when they find that <laughs> sorry brother but you're going to have to get to some meetings. You're going to have to get in a group. You got to be around other people that are on this path because we are in a rhythm of superficiality in this culture. And if we don't step out of it into a rhythm of depth to begin normalizing that, we'll just rubber band right back to Twitter's uh, uh, superficial uh, uh, interactions, right? Um mm -hmm. Nothing against Twitter. Actually, I'm learning that whole game. But there's a way to go deep on Twitter, too. It's the same dynamic. You know, shall I be the homogenous uh, person who says, be strong, be good, be right, or whatever the hell they're saying, right? Or shall I be the person who says, stop doing shit you don't want to do? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the really advanced version of this is start doing shit you want to do. <laughs> mm. I bought a boat this year. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. It took a <laughs> lot, man. It's like, I don't buy things like that for myself, but had a lot of people around me saying, what, what are you, nuts? Is that what you want? <laughs> mm. Whose life is this you're living anyway? And I would say mm. that to your, to your listeners. This is your life, brother, sister. Uh, live it. And maybe somebody in your life will feel not like a little uncomfortable with you taking care of yourself really well. Well, 
Maybe. And here's another thing. Maybe they won't. Maybe that's bullshit. Maybe they don't give a shit. Maybe they're taking care of themselves. Maybe they're not even paying that much attention to you. <laughs> what a concept. Yeah, that's the wisdom. Live your life uh, the way you want to live it. Mm. That's beautiful, Bob. Thank you so much, man. And um, How can people find you? What are you up to? What's going on? Okay, bobbear.com is the easiest one. Uh, and uh, for the weekends, with the deepwatersrecovery.com website is the doorway to the deep waters experience and to the experiential facilitator trainings. That's all. That whole thing is by donation. It is there uh, because we know that the world needs healing, and we're not turning anybody away. Uh, and we do these weekends um, uh, like every three months. And I think probably in uh, next year we're going to start doing them every other month. And uh, there's a there's a gathering storm, <laughs> so we'll probably be doing them monthly before before long. So. Uh, it's a three-day intensive uh, where we uh, do a lot of education on trauma, and then on Saturday is uh, it's kind of it, it's built around uh, the hero's journey, as described by Joseph Campbell. Uh, the Friday night through Saturday morning is sort of the descent. We get on the carpet in the afternoon on Saturdays, and that's the ordeal, and then the rest of it is just. Uh, 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 the return, which is a, uh, a really sweet, beautiful, uh, transformational uh, uh, transition back to the real world, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just say a very short sentence or two about your experience at that yeah. weekend, Christopher? Just want to lead it by saying if anybody out there this is touching them in any way, I would sign up for it. What Bob means by the carpet is that we do some deep emotional work. Um, you know, we do what we've been talking about this podcast. We go into our bodies and we feel what's going on in there. And it's it's a very transformative experience. And every weekend I've gone, um, I've always felt very light afterwards. And I feel that uh, something that I've gained from these retreats is not only that I'm able to go in and feel these wounds inside of myself but there's also the support of the intellectual education going on as well so my intellectual mind my ego has something to chew on while the body is um, also being healed so it gives me an understanding of what's happening to my body what we're going to do and then we go through the process of healing in the carpet work which is just going into some deep emotional wounds and healing and then we come out transformed and feeling reborn and new and creative and um so that's sort of just in a just how i feel about the weekends and highly recommend them and if um i'll be staffing these next this next one we have coming up in march and then um you know going into the future ones as well so if you do want to come to any of these you can reach out to me um as well and we can get you connected into that Yep. So it's deepwatersrecovery.com and bobbear.com. You can cut, you can find me, uh, 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 the, uh, for, uh, the, the weekends for individual coaching, uh, group, uh, counseling and coaching. And, uh, I don't know, a couple of books I've written. So I'd love to connect with you. The main thing is like, I guess I'm supposed to 
be talking to people about joining the uh, mailing list or the uh, subscriber list for our newsletter. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can find that out by going to bobbear.com easily also. All right, enough promo. It nauseates. <laughs> what's, your, what's your Twitter handle? What is my, it's at Dr. Bob Bear with an nice. E-N, B-E-A-R-E. I'll put that in the show notes as well for anybody who's curious. So that'll be there as well. And I'm a Twitter person. I've surrendered. <laughs> Learning the game. Well, heck yeah, man. Um, this, is good. this was a good time, uh, Christopher. Thanks for doing this act of service. I mean, you don't have to do any of this stuff, man. I think you you just do some really good stuff. Uh, do you get to promo your stuff here or what? I do. I do some solo podcasting as well. And then it really is an opportunity for other people uh, out there to hear. And, you know, I'm kind of at a place in my life where I'm sort of taking a step back and recognizing that my role right now is in helping others promote their message. And I know eventually my time will come to, you know, have my own stuff to promote and put out there. But right now it's, um, really helping others with their message as I learned, you know? So um, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Beautiful. Well, thanks awesome. for letting me uh, play here. It's been great. It, yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you guys in the next one. Bye.